0: Hi there, this is TempDiv Podcast, where we discuss embedded Linux, IoT development, and anything else we might find interesting. Your hosts today are Cliff and Cam. How are you, Cliff, today?
1: Yeah, pretty well, Cam. How are you doing? Very well. Good.
0: Today we have an interesting topic, and it's um, a question, why open source for product development? I know uh, Cliff is very uh, passionate about it and we'll uh, uh, talk about what his insights are and uh, we'll go along. So um, first off, uh, why open source for product development, Cliff?
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a question as, as I work with companies building products and a lot of them come from backgrounds where they have not used open source a lot. So this is a question people ask and people people struggle with and and kind of before this this i wrote i wrote a blog article on this which we'll also link to in our podcast notes Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and and through this article i i feel like i've learned a few things and as we look at product development that there's a lot's lot's changing anymore because we use more complex tele- technology stacks. So there's there's five perspectives I, I came up with: uh, value, change, complexity, control, and culture. Mm. So th- those are just different ways to view product development. Different concerns different people may have, and then you know kind of how they tie into to open source development. So.
0: That's interesting. So I'm, <clears throat> as we know, I think, you know, if you look at the stacks we have today, if you consider about the kiosk browser stack we have, then, you know, your statement is very right that there is so much of complexity that goes in um, from software perspective, and then there's the hardware piece, and then, you know, the, the whole product lifecycle. So it's um, quite a bit, Uh, complex in there so
1: yeah for um, instance we did some line counts the other day and chromium has 35 million lines of code in it wow and and the (laughs) the total kernel source size is like 30 million lines and of course only a small subset of that gets compiled for each platform but i suspect for chromium a good bit of that gets compiled Mm. to build a browser you know i don't know the details but
0: um, right. So, um, yeah, I think that's very true. And it's not getting lesser any, any, any day. You know, it's just, uh, you know, compounding. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how do you define... So, I think, you know, you mentioned about, um, you know, some facets of product development or perspectives. And you said about value and change complexity, control, and culture. So um, how do you expand on something like, say, value?
1: Yes. So value is, is, um, is basically, in the end, we need to deliver value to our customers. So as we're developing products, we're trying to increase the value, find ways to deliver more value faster. And value in software is hard to quantify, and, and the breakthroughs are difficult to predict um, because there's, there's, um, there's some nonlinear effects there because we're not constrained by physical constraints. Like It doesn't cost anything to duplicate software.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, computers are very powerful, so they can, they can run more software than we can write in multiple lifetimes, unlike an old microcontroller that may only have 2K of ROM or something a modern computer we can write software for years on end and and not fill up a computer so and then a- algorithms there's really no ceiling on on algorithms there's always a better algorithm it's kind of like human memory you know that there's always a way to improve it or expand it so you know th- these are the types of things we we challenges we have when we when we're trying to deliver software value
0: yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if you look at the the buzzword with generative AI, but if you look at, you know, how quickly the algorithms have, you know, uh, evolved um, over a period of time, you know, that's basically the unboundedness of the potential that software brings in. So very well said. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about the breakthroughs and you know the iterative nature of developing software being um easy it also means that it could get complex so uh first of all what is complexity you know is it something like you know uh, i create a software and then it is complex or how do you peruse through that word of complexity
1: yes there's there's two types of complexity i i classify them as the one is accidental complexity and mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of an artificial human created complexity that we don't want. The other isn't in, is inherent or necessary complexity. And that's just the complexity required to get the job done. If you look at any system in the human body, it's incredibly complex. You know, let's just say for instance, the muscle system, you know, there's many, many muscles and all different arrangements and positions. But all, all of those are necessary for the human body to move gracefully. You know, you can't, um, if we injure ourselves, we quickly learn that all of those muscles are necessary. So that's, that's what we call necessary complexity. And as these systems do more, you know, collect large amounts of data, run AI algorithms, communicate over networks, display complex user interfaces. These systems all have to be complex because we're doing a complex job. And and as, as as we've mentioned, the complexity is is just increasing at a very fast rate. So we have to have to have a way to manage all this and deal with it.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge. And yes. Mm-hmm. And if you look at like folks don't write spaghetti code. That's accidental complexity.
1: Right. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so um, so complexity is getting us and then there is the rate of change or uh, how do you define that aspect of product development
1: yeah with, with um with the advent of open source software the internet and widespread collaboration there's there's really things are moving fast and the number of open source, new open source projects that are coming out is staggering. You look at the rate of change in the Linux kernel and the number of lines of code that are written that go into that project, it's it's just, again, staggering the amount of development that's happening. So th- this change is happening very fast and we can look at it two ways. We can look at it as a negative like, ah, oh, I can't keep up or wow, look at this value we can use
0: mm-hmm
1: and this this change software the fact that software can change and deliver more value over time is is one way that software is different than hardware because with hardware we build a product and we want to manufacture another one another one and if we can minimize the change the tolerances and, and so on that's how we define quality you know uh, a controlled manufacturing product process or hardware we get very little variance between each 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 unit we manufacture so that's what we call quality and with hardware if we can minimize the variance we increase the value
0: mm-hmm.
1: but with software since we can deliver updates over the life cycle if we can increase the rate of change that delivers value so these these are opposite and it's one of the reasons why I I think we observe that companies that are really good in hardware struggle to do software and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I think that could be at the heart of this, you know, you can't approach both problems in a similar way. mm -hmm. And
1: um, yeah, at least be aware of it, you know, (laughs) so.
0: Yeah. I think change very well said, you know, essentially uh, I think that's, also the underlying value of software if you will um, that it can change and, yes mm-hmm. and value over, over a period of time and it can change in significant ways you know where you know and i, I remember products where you know the hardware remains same but the whole os underneath change from something else to linux or from linux to something else mm-hmm. so it's like totally reprogram the software to do something else, right? So um, I think and the it, other ask... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to predict where you're going to end up, too, because these are general purpose platforms. You might think the software is going to do X, but mm-hmm. four years later, you know, the, the software is doing something completely different. So it's just very interesting to watch how, yeah, you know, your product requirements change over time as you learn, customers give you feedback. Yeah. So very hard to predict.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, you know, that the change has to be embraced rather than controlled, I think. Yes. And speaking of controlled, uh, there is one aspect you mentioned about control. So what do we mean by control in, in, in the product sense? And how does software development and open source fits into that or how does that set kind of like ties in
1: yeah if if we look at developing a product we like to have some level of control over the the components or the software pieces we pull in and the reason for that is simple if we run into problems we want to be able to fix them we want to be able to get support when we need it and companies like apple have and, and Tesla have embraced this to the nth degree and that they try to build as much as they can in-house and the reason they do that is so they have control over it they can they can make the changes they need they can get the stuff when they need it so that this is always a big concern you know if for pulling in all this software and we run into problems how are we going to deal with it and that's that's really the art, I think, of of modern development. You know, we need to get get good at using other people other people's code, reading other people's code, modifying it, um, learning to interact with with other people who are working on this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think control. Um, yeah, that's very uh, important from you know how you approach the problem and how you view your end to end solution. And um, definitely, I think, uh, what we need to do in terms of uh, that you need enough control to uh, streamline the development for your products. And, um, and understand that, you know, it's not about controlling the end to end outcomes, but more streamlining it
1: yes and, and you understand this you spend a lot of your time debugging build problems fixing problems and other people's stuff so uh, open yeah. source gives you the ability to do that so for your for your projects you work on you know you're able to to go in yeah. and do what you need to do
0: right and i think as they get so complex right we can't get all the know-how under one roof know, so essentially, if you see how software has developed over a period of time, you need like different kind of skill sets. And, you know, it's, it's much better in that way that it is distributed. And, and so, you know, there's a way for me to do something that you can consume easily, and you can work with it in your own capacity for your own value, and vice versa. So I think it's definitely important
1: yeah one of the things I tell people that you know the superpower in this age is knowing who to ask and knowing how to ask it, because like you said we we can't systems are getting to the point where we can't do it all we can't know it all yeah and and um right. so be, so being able to to work effectively in open source communities is is a very valuable skill,
0: yeah. So now, speaking of this, so I guess, you know, these are kind of considerations now, I think the most important now, at least what I think is what you also uh, mentioned there The last was culture. So uh, I guess you've got to create a bedrock of culture that you can get all the above. Handled so. How do you see the culture from, you know, how it is evolving and how, you know, it is with respect to open source and prior to open source methods, um, how has it evolved and what are various aspects of it?
1: Yeah. So I think what we're realizing is with software development, we're, we're really looking for the nonlinear improvements, you know, where you, you go along, things are improving incrementally and all of a sudden something just jumps up and there's a big, big improvement. This could be a new programming language, um, a new algorithm like the recent AI algorithms, you know, those are, those are step changes. And, and that's really the, what we're looking for. And the, these things cannot be forced. You can't just throw a bunch of money and a bunch of people at a problem and just it's not, you can't predict what's going to happen. So what we're finding is the open salt, the open source environment, that culture seems to be really good at, at producing these innovations. And the reason I believe this happens is, is it provides an environment for the right people to connect. And, and then, um, And then these, and, you know, they have the freedom to experiment and then these things start to happen. So I, I, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I feel like the, the fundamental benefit of open source is, is really the culture and the environment it provides for, for these innovations to happen Mm
0: -hmm.
1: versus like, um. You know getting free stuff or you know looking at it in a socialist sense like we all work together for the better common good you know I, I really don't think that's the core of it I think the core of it is really the environment where the right people get together and they have the freedom to work on stuff and then the innovations happen
0: hmm so I see that there are like you know <clears throat> two ways one of them being you basically get some software written by, you know, some company or organization, and then, you know, you go with it, basically, you know, you buy it, and then maybe you buy some support from it. And then um, the second approach you talk about is the open source software uh, approach, which means you find out, you know, what open source software exists for the problem space you're looking for. And then you basically engage, or maybe, you know, work with the project uh, community or maintainers uh, or experts in those areas and support them and maybe have um, buy purchase some support from them uh, for these kind of projects Mm -hmm. and how do you see that happening like you know can you contrast these two approaches is like you know the second approach being more um we call valuable you know with the people we have bought so far or how is it which which way it is trending
1: yeah that's that's um i think pretty much across the board we're seeing a shift towards open source for fundamental building blocks and i'll just point out two examples you know it used to be maybe 15 years ago if you needed a browser you you licensed a proprietary product you know, it, it could have been Opera or something, you know, if you needed a browser in a device. But more, you know, lately the open source alternatives have definitely taken over and, and that's what you use. Same with operating systems. You know, 20 years ago, Windows CE was popular and everybody thought that was the future. And Linux was kind of looked down on as, as kind of a, hippie thing or something. But since then, you know, we've seen how that's turned out. Windows CE is pretty much gone and and Linux has taken over. Um, I think real, real-time operating systems for microcontrollers is very similar. You know, in the past, it was all proprietary. Uh, there's been a number of open source alternatives that have emerged, like FreeRTOS and Zephyr. And especially Zephyr, you know, that's just moving at a a tremendous pace that nothing else can keep up with that so it it will emerge as the de facto um, Mm -hmm. operating system for microcontrollers Mm -hmm. so i I see a definite trend in these basic building blocks Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: people are looking to open source to, Mm -hmm. to supply these pieces
0: yeah yeah so i think i also see this as Kind of extended or external R and D, you know, if you were to look at that, and mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, there were big orgs in the past where they had huge R and D in-house R and D uh, departments, and then uh, I think that complexity just grew over a period of time by leaps and bounds. That I guess this is the best collaboration mechanism that's out there. Um, where you basically collaborate with people uh, and you use the open source as a vehicle to do that. Um, So what are um, some of the underlying, you know, principles that makes open source work?
1: Yeah, I I think it's, it's. um... It's it's difficult to know for sure exactly why open source works so well. But I I think there's there's a couple couple things it has. One is, is um doing things in open in the open. We we do better work when it's when it's um in the open. And a common analogy is, you know, when we're having guests over to our home, we typically clean up a little better and, and straighten mm. things up. You know, it, it's just yeah. when our, when our homes being on public display, we, we, we do a better job cleaning it. So,
0: yeah.
1: um, and so, so doing things in the open is a powerful, powerful thing. I think also freedom is, is a very powerful thing as well. When when developers have the freedom to experiment and and try different things you know a lot a lot of these innovations are more discoveries than things that we just will into existence mm-hmm. and some of these algorithms are discovered accidentally uh, but, it, but at any rate i think freedom's a very key ingredient and then the, the last thing i i think about is just the opportunity for for people anywhere in the world the right people to interact you know, you no longer have to belong to the same company or be in the same location. You know, if you have the skills and the interest, you, you there's an opportunity to to have an impact. So I, I think there's a, a very nonlinear effect with the, the having the right people involved and working together such that you know there's this emergent effect where the the combined result is, is much greater than the the sum of the individual efforts
0: mm-hmm. so do you see any challenges or any downsides or at least you know some of the concerns that people have with this method
1: yeah the the funding is always a concern
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we see this from time to time where open source authors are driven by the craft and interest but they don't really have a business model around their work and they don't have funding so they may quit working on the project and then a project just kind of withers and dies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's, I think it's wise for companies to audit all the OSS components they're dependent on and kind of investigate the health of these projects and, and talk to the people and try to understand, you know, is, is, is everybody have a comfortable working situation or do they need funding? And, You know, again, this this illustrates why it's important to be a participant if you're using open source software and not just a consumer, where, you know, you look at it more as, um, you know, if, if you're participating in the project, you're, you're testing, you're providing feedback, you're interacting with the people do, in the community, you soon get a sense for the health of the, the project.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very well said because, you know, if you look at your OSS consumption and the whole pipeline, the whole stack, you know, that you're basically relying on and make a good chart of it. And then, you know, there are several ways to assess the health of projects, you know, and then if you go on GitHub and how many stars it has and, you know, what is the activity of um, past one year or six months, and um, how many, you know, contributors, long time contributor, there are various stats that are available. And um, it could be that, you know, there is one project that you rely on and then there isn't a huge community around it, you know, it's somebody uh, writing it on his or her free time. And so, you know, so that's also basically um finding out your single points of failures or you know I wouldn't say failures, but it's also like you will have to take an, a reactive action if something uh, happens to that project. So I think proactively looking through your dependencies I guess is is a advice uh, advice I think Yes to do.
1: you know we, we routinely hear people doing this for to check for licenses, but mm-hmm. I, I think also project health is, is a good idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it might be interesting to build a stats around that, like what to check for, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a topic for another podcast, but.
1: Yeah, and possibly a tool.
0: <laughs> possibly a tool. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, um, so how would you sum up, uh, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the culture are a few nuggets for people. Um, what should they look for? Or what should how how can they become part of, you know, or adopt, embrace um open source development methods?
1: Yeah, I'll just read a, a sentence from the blog post here that I mm-hmm. think provides a, a nice summary of, of kind of the thoughts around this and the benefit of open source benefits of open source are not primarily in getting stuff for free or pulling resources in a socialist sense for the greater common good, but rather providing an environment and connecting the right people for innovation to happen. Mm -hmm. And this, this dynamic has happened occasionally in the past in companies like, um, AT&T Bell labs and Mm -hmm. Lockheed Martin skunk works. So we have seen amazing environments of, of innovation in the past, but I feel like most of those have have moved into open source. You know, I'm I'm sure there's still still exceptions, but for for most of us who don't have vast resources like AT and T did, um, you know, open source gives us a, like you said, and kind of an external R and D, advanced R and D wing. And I've concluded that companies don't don't engage in open source out of altruism or like Google and Facebook, you know, they don't, they don't do this just because they're nice people. They do it because there's a business return
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: Google has 27,000 engineers. Mm -hmm. And with that number, you'd think they could write any software they need. They could just create it, but they can't, they have to, they have to go to open source to get the technology they need to move forward. And as, as companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, if, if they're doing it, how much more us, us smaller players need to to be engaging in, in, in doing this as well?
0: Hmm. All right. I think it's a very uh, well-written article. I think um, I would encourage everyone to read Cliff's uh, blog on this. And uh, with this, I would like to thank you for... Uh, Listening to us today, um, and I think we will post the link to the blog in the in the notes section. So thank you very much.
1: Yes, thank you.